0: LA Metro Magazine Podcast is here to bring you the entertaining, informative, and inspiring stories of the people who live, work, and play in the greater Lewiston-Auburn, Maine area. I'm your host, Colby Michaud. Today, in the first part of a two-part feature, we sit down with Joe Philippon, a detective for the Lewiston Police Department. We chat about how he first got involved in law enforcement, his thoughts on modern policing in Lewiston, and why it's important to meet people where they are. This is LA Metro Magazine Podcast, episode 10. Hey Joe, how you doing? Hey Colby, I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. Um, thank you so much for for taking the time to, to talk with us today.
1: No, I appreciate it. I look forward to this. I'm really excited about this new podcast. I've had the chance to listen to a few of cool. these. So. Yeah.
0: When uh, when Jimbo and I were conceiving of this project, the whole pro- podcast project back in June and July of this year, we. You know, we made a short list of people, and we definitely had you on that, that list. Initially, I made the short list. Yeah, nice. <laughs> it's since grown to a, quite a long list, but yeah, you were on the you were on there. Well, that's the nice. beginning, so that's pretty cool, and and now we're here. So, um, just for context, because this obviously won't, it's not live, but um, we are at the end of September and leaves are falling already. Yeah, summer summer ended rather
1: abruptly. One weekend I was at the beach with the family, and the next weekend we were filling up the pellet stove.
0: I know. Isn't that crazy? It was. It but was it like
1: 2020. So yeah, the week I'm before. I'm surprised it hasn't snowed yet.
0: I know. Well, there's frost on the on the on there the is. lawn in the morning now. There is. Yeah, except for this weekend, it's supposed to be nice and warm again. So, it's just a tease. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, now, you're a you work for Lewiston Police Department. Yes, I do. And you've been there for. Uh, Just over 15 years,
1: is that right? Correct. Yeah, this past June was my uh, 15th year anniversary. So time flies when you're having fun.
0: Yes. So can you talk a little bit about how you got involved with that? And um, you you were telling me before you you, uh, went to St. Dom's. Yes, and then you had a brief stint at some other jobs, and then you got hired on to. Listen.
1: Yes, so one of the things that I don't think people, um, I've have shared a little bit, but I initially had you know almost I would say no interest in being a police officer, or getting in law enforcement. What really interested me was uh, cooking. Uh, so prior to the start of my senior year at St. Dom's, I had gone down with a friend of mine, and we had toured Johnson and Wales uh, for a weekend. And that was a pretty fun experience down there in Providence. And I applied, and I was already accepted into the culinary arts program uh, before we started a senior year. And that was really my plan. Uh, and then as, as time went on, you know, I just started... Well, actually, I had a joke. I, we did senior photos, and you, well, everybody does senior photos. Uh, so I'm just gonna say that I had a lot of fun when I was a kid. Uh, and I knew somebody that worked at the Lewis Police Department, and I called him up and asked him if it would be possible to have a police car in one of my senior photos. Uh, so I got hooked up, and I have an LPD police car in one of my senior photos. And so it was kind of a joke because, you know, I was, uh, I was that kid. Uh, but then as as the, as the year progressed, uh, I would say that getting some ribbing, but then starting to think about it, I said, you know, I, th- I think it could be kind of fun to maybe do this. And it was just enough doubt for me to be like, well, maybe I don't want to do cooking. And my parents uh, have worn many hats in their lifetime, uh, but their their foundation has always been education, teaching. And they taught at St. Dom's themselves back in the early 80s, uh, early 90s mm-hmm. uh, for quite a while. So they had a lot of students uh, to... To, to network me with and so they started reaching out to some of their past students who were in the field and then I started doing ride-alongs uh, and after doing like a few ride-alongs I said you know what I think this is, I think this is what I want to do, this seems fun, this is, this is different uh, so it was just enough doubt I didn't go to Johnson & Wales, I wound up staying close by, I went to uh, started off at the University of Southern Maine uh, and then I eventually transferred to the University of Maine at Augusta Uh, But right out the gate, I graduated, and I think a week or two later, I started my first real full-time job, and I was at St. Mary's Hospital doing security, uh, which was a really, really good experience, you know, and, and, and looking back or reflecting back on... On my career as a police officer, I would say that it really helped m- me and gave me a, a pretty significant edge. Because here, you got to understand, you know, growing up, private school, I went to St. Don's, before that, St. Peter's. And even though the school was still located in the inner city of Lewiston, I mean, we were very much so in a very sheltered, protected island, you know, within the bubble. Yeah, and so and, and and you know, growing up, I've been very fortunate. So I didn't have a lot of the experiences that, unfortunately, too many people have uh, everywhere, but in particular here in Lewiston. Uh, but when you're working at St. Mary's Hospital, uh, one one of the things that the hospital really uh, focuses a lot on is mental health and substance misuse. And so here I was, 18 years old, and and really getting exposed to a whole different side of the community that I had never really seen or really never noticed. And what I was always like in it when I talk to people about it is how my world's changed is is that, you know, when somebody points out something to you that you've never noticed before, like when you see trash bags painted with orange which because they went out too early, but you never see that. But then all of a sudden, somebody tells you that, and then all of a sudden, next thing you see is all... That, that was that was me in this experience. Like, you know, my, my, my world changed a great deal in a very short period of time. And all these people that I would say, unfortunately, that I never saw or never noticed, I started to see every day on a very regular basis. And in some ways, that eventually transitioned to me seeing them more often than you know, people that I would have normally have seen, I guess, in a prior life. Uh, but it was a great experience because, you know, at St. Mary's, uh, especially back then in a the crisis unit, um, which is a unit where people come fresh off the streets when they're probably at, at their worst moment. And, you know, so they, they can come in presenting very differently uh, than they would normally. And, you know, when you're doing security, especially back in that old unit, it's not, it wasn't a locked unit. Uh, So really, it was your gift of gab, your your ability to to connect with people, to relate, because you're not a cop. You know, it's just you, and I, we wore brown uniforms, and, and that was about it. But there's yeah. no, you know, we didn't have handcuffs, there's no OC spray, t- none of that. I mean, it's just you and your hands, and that's mm-hmm. it. And so one of the things you learned very quickly, uh, I guess in part for survival, uh, but also, I guess also in part just to keep peace pieces, how to talk, how to de-escalate, how to yeah. get to know people. And, you know, the reality is a lot of people that we interact with as police officers are people who suffer from mental health issues, issues or substance misuse disorder, a combination thereof. Uh, So your ability, one, to recognize that uh, when you're speaking with somebody, uh, identifying that they are in crisis, maybe even having an idea of what they may be diagnosed with or where they're coming from, I mean, it gives you all advantages to to de-escalate that situation, which obviously is is a hot topic for discussion right now. But those experiences matter, and those experiences are very hard to get until you start doing this job. Uh, and I was just fortunate that I was able to start getting those experiences when I was 18 years old, uh, before I eventually got hired, you know, a few years later when I turned 21 at the police department.
0: Yeah. Now uh, going back to when you were, was 18, you had that, that ride along, Yeah. that first ride along, you had said it was, it was fun. It was different. What was, what was fun about it?
1: Well, uh, so his name, he's a state trooper. He's a Lieutenant now, um, he, he pulls into my driveway and says, gotta get in right now. And he's, I'm like, why? He's like, well, we gotta go to a call. It's hot. And I mean, so right out the gate, I was jumping in the just screws and picked right me up away. by my parents yeah. and there we go, I went tearing out of my parents' driveway. Nice. <laughs> Still living at home. And, uh, you know, lights and sirens and here we go. And I guess from that moment on, what I just really liked was the fast pace of it. Mm-hmm. But I've always, one of the things I've always enjoyed about law enforcement uh, is, is that it's really a critical thinking job. You show up, you know, it's like a rat's nest of wires be- that you find behind your entertainment system. And you got to figure out quickly everything that you need to do to untangle that mess, how to do it, prioritize, and, but you got to do it effectively and efficiently. And so that's the part of the job that I've always liked is that, it, to me, it's just always been mentally stimulating and very challenging to go to these different calls and, and figure out problem solve.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you got to be creative and think outside the box.
1: You do. You really do. I mean, you know, there are similarities from call to call for sure, but e- everything has its own nuance, its own, you know, something that you have to that that you know your own audible, I guess, that that's thrown at you, and and you have to always be constantly adjusting or or you know changing whatever you did the last time to this time to make it work for you. So I just that part of it, the job that I've I've always liked and enjoyed.
0: Would you recognize that you're the type of person that enjoys uh, the constant movement and and not really one to sit still necessarily? You know, behind behind a at a desk every single day from yes. nine to five. And was that one of the the reasons that? you were kind of called to this this industry.
1: I think so I mean the desk is is very challenging for me mm. you know I, I very much so like being out I really like the social aspects of engaging um, so you know I think for me that's been one of the bigger adjustments going out back to the detective bureau is that when you're not out actively usually doing investigation a lot of your time is spent typing reports listening to interviews Doing massive record dives and researching, so I mean, you can spend sometimes a lot of time there at your desk just going through things, which is very different uh, than what I've been doing, in particular the last seven years on the community resource team. So it's it's been a it's been an adjustment for sure.
0: Yeah. So let's since you brought it up, let's talk about the uh, community resource team. Yeah. From my limited understanding of it, of it, it's basically like a. a People on the team are sort of a liaison between the residents or citizens of the community and the businesses and other city resources.
1: No, that's a really good summary. I mean, you know, some of the ways I would describe it is we're we're like school resource officers, except we're not assigned to the school, we're assigned to the community. Um, One thing I always enjoyed about uh, that position is that... There are some things for sure that you're tasked with or assigned, right? You know, you're always going to get that. Uh, But generally speaking, it was, well, you're here, so find something to do. What do you care about? What are the issues? You know, so you know, when I got on the community resource team, a lot of it was like, Well, you're just fresh off the road. You've been working patrol, you've been working on a three to eleven shift, you know, you've been working down in the inner city neighborhood around Kennedy Park. You know, what are what are some of the things that you were seeing as a patrol officer that were maybe frustrating that you never had the time to address, maybe weren't necessarily law enforcement matters, but something that we constantly we call on. And but now you have the time. You're not tied to the radio, so now you have the time figure it out how how can you make that better how you can you reduce uh, you know a, a, a particular call for service at a location or a type of call you know whatever it is and so that's one thing i always enjoyed uh that's one thing i still enjoy about that position is that you really got a chance to think outside of the box uh partner with people that can assist you you know, law enforcement. We may deal with a lot of stuff, but we're not necessarily going to be the ones that can solve or provide the services or supports that people need. Yeah. Uh, so, one of the things that I liked with Crow is it gave me the opportunity to get out there and learn about those services, learn what's out there in the community, learn who wants to offer help, who can support the police department. Uh, you know, and that's really you know one of the programs that I know is being talked quite a bit, uh, a lot lately locally. is Project Support You, which is a partnership between the police department. And try county mental health services uh, so that you know it's no longer always default the, the police officer having to interact with somebody when they're struggling the most in crisis or, or just or, or experiencing an overdose. And you know, we can go there now, make sure everything is safe, and step back and let somebody else go in there who's not a police officer who comes at that from a medical clinical uh, standpoint, which is what those situations and what those calls generally are, and help assist that person help treat that person and you know when i started the police department we actually used to have that uh... we used to have a full-time dedicated person forty hours a week that was paid for by the state through dhs and and it was great you know when we when we had that crisis worker riding around with us and they could do all of this stuff and really de-escalate situations and sit there and do evaluations on people in the field and if and if she knew that they needed to be placed she could start that process right then and there Uh, lost that for way too long, and Project Support You is, uh, you know, in many ways a way of bringing back what we used to have, uh, but it's also a little different. You know, one of the things that we did with this is that we we didn't want our worker to look like or present as a police officer, so previously the person wore all blue, and generally you would have assumed that they were a police officer, whereas... Today, uh, you would never confuse uh, the two, but that was done intentionally because it's really about, you know, if there's every one thing you learn, or I've learned as I get older and older, and unfortunately, getting older is per- every day. Every day, perspective matters, you know. And I have my lived experiences. You have your lived experiences. Uh, through that, there's there is some knowledge, but there's a lot of stuff that we just don't know. And we haven't experienced. And then flip that is when you're trying to support or help assist somebody, if they have an aversion to you, and in this case, a police officer, whether right, wrong, or indifferent, but if they don't feel comfortable with you, then they just don't feel comfortable with you. Mm -hmm. Uh, That shouldn't be a barrier for them to get assistance and support. And so that's why I think it's been really beneficial for our program uh, that we have somebody that that doesn't look like us, doesn't dress like us. in the car there and it's been pretty cool I mean you know we definitely need more hours if you have money we need it seriously we need it you know 10 hours a week is not enough yeah. we need we need we need 80 we need a hundred we need more than one person um, but it's a start it's a start. But I know that it's been very beneficial. It's been cool because we have people now, and I talk to the worker who does it for us, you know, that, that now recognize him and know who he is, know why he's riding with us. And, you know, he'll be riding around with an officer and they'll stop at a four-way stop and somebody will come up and tap on the glass on the say, hey, you know, hey, Dave, can I, can I speak with you? You know? That's a, that's a conversation that would not happen otherwise, oh, right? Yeah. Hey, I know this person over here. I'm trying to get some services. Do you have any ideas? Or, hey, I'm in need myself. Can you help me? Well, if it was just a cop in that car without that worker, do you think they're tapping on that class? Right. I think there's a, unfortunately a good chance that they're not.
0: Right. the The approachability factor is important. It's
1: huge. Yeah, it's huge. You know, you got to meet people where they are. Where, where they are. You can't be waiting or expecting or demanding yeah. that they're going to come to you at this place, at this time, on this date. It's just it's impractical. It's illogical. It doesn't work. So. And that's been our historically our approach and it's failed us.
2: Are your kids picky eaters? Do you struggle to get them to eat enough fruits and vegetables? Hi, I'm Nicole, Association Director of Health, Wellness and Fitness from the YMCA of Auburn Lewiston, here with some tips to help your family make strides toward eating healthier together. Make eating new foods fun. Let your kids pick out some new fruits or veggies to try. Make it a family affair. Include everyone by picking out a new healthy recipe to make together each week. Plan and prep. Take time over the weekend to meal plan and prep as a family so you know you have healthy options on hand. Set the example. Kids model what they see. Help them develop lifelong healthy habits. For more health and wellness tips and to learn more about the YMCA of Auburn Lewiston, visit us online at alymca.org or stop by and see us.
0: I've noticed you've, you've, you've uh, sort of described um, people on the team, or even yourself, as helpful, um, supportive. So let me ask you a pointed question. How, how do you personally define a police officer? What is a police officer in your mind? You
1: know, I think, to me, the role of a police officer in a community is, is, is to be a peacekeeper. You know, to be somebody that, that's out there interacting with the people within their community or specifically, you know, some cop talk here on the beat, within their beat, to get to know the people who live in their beat, the businesses in their beat, and find out what are the issues and find out what does the neighborhood want you to prioritize for your issues. And, and then also for you to, to, to respond and react to those needs, uh, and also be willing to take the time to explain some of the issues or priorities that you're seeing that they may not be identifying and why you think those are priorities as well. Um, you know, at the end of the day, you know, there, there's only so many police officers working at any one given time, right? You know, I, and I don't live everywhere as there is in the city. I'm never going to be everywhere in the city 24 7. So, you know, in terms of long term, real crime reduction strategies, there's a lot to it. But one component is community buy-in, is community effort. And if the community is not engaged, if the community is not a, a part of it, um, then really we're not going to be able – we're not going to do anything. We're not going to do anything. Uh, so community buy-in matters. Yeah. And, and listening and, and responding, You know. you know, the big thing is partnership matters. Uh, your ability to transform matters, you know. What we did yesterday may have worked yesterday. doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work today. And, and, and be willing to change because being adaptive is yeah. crucial, absolutely crucial. Just in the 15 years uh, of my career, one of the biggest changes is technology, mm. you know. And almost every single crime that happens, by and large, there's some type of electronic device tied to it, directly or indirectly. You know, and that's, that's different. You know, so we have to adapt to the times. We have to adapt to the needs, uh, for sure. If we wanted to, if we want to provide effective and efficient service to our community members.
0: Yeah, what well, would you say that some of the, the strengths, and maybe some of the challenges, Lewiston as a community has, specifically for law enforcement.
1: You know, we're we're a major service center community. You know, so we have a lot of people that come here. Uh, for various reasons, uh, but this is where where they get their services. And you know, one of the things that I don't think it takes too long if you live in this area and you wander out. You know, everybody's more than happy to take a cheap shot at this community, but they're also more than happy to take whatever issue that they're having in this community and put them in a car and give them a one-way ticket here to our community, right? It's a fact. You know, so I think the big thing uh, for law enforcement is that that's a struggle. I mean, we have. A lot of people that we're interacting with that have those needs. One of the things that, like, you know, and I'll go back to Project Support You, you know, that's just a step in the right direction. We have another whole other mile to go uh, to get to where we need to. So I think some of the biggest challenges for us, we don't have the staffing level that that, that we need to provide a service. And, And when I say that is the demands on officers have changed a great deal. Changed a great deal. Uh, People want to see cops driving in their neighborhood, right? That's where they want to see their patrol officers driving around in marked cars. They don't want to see them at the station, right? That's reality, Uh, but it's impractical. You know why it's impractical? Because the amount of paperwork, the expectations that officers are are expected to do, all the different things you're supposed to photocopy, scan, upload, attach, download, all of these things— it's always one more thing. One more thing. Hey, we're just asking you to do one more thing. Well, all those one more things eventually add up to being a lot of things. And a lot of process has changed in, in my time. Uh, so, unfortunately, that... Ties up officers, pulls them off their beat, pulls them out of your neighborhood, forces them to have to go down to the station to do their job. Uh, so I think staffing is an issue, um, uh, for sure, because because of the because we don't have the numbers that we need, uh, that that can result in delays for service, you know, response time because officers are constantly having to go back to the station to do whatever before they can go back out. Um, we need a real commitment, either locally or from the state or somebody, to, to to expand our mental health response. You know, whether it be, you know, being able to create a mental health response team like we've seen in other communities, like in San Antonio, or even to expand what we currently have going, Project Support You. Uh, we need more of that. Not less, the needs are there. Uh, we have a growing homeless population here, uh, that's, or growing visible homeless population. You know, when I started, you know, 15 years ago, it was not, it was uncommon to see somebody sleeping outside on a park bench. You know, that wasn't the norm. Look around the last several years, that has changed and it continues to change and go in the wrong direction. Well, we now we as a community need to adapt to that Mm -hmm. and the reality is the police department our role in society is to enforce the law you know Uh, we need the service providers we need that social support uh, to to rise to the occasion right now if you're in need help and it's outside of Monday through Friday 8 to 4 the only people you can call is the police department but we're not the people that necessarily are the ones that should be responding or have all the tools uh, to address these issues you know a cop shows up with the same tools on their duty belt uh, for somebody who's in crisis as they do to a bank robbery, you know. Right. So we need more. Yep. We need more. And, you know, I, th- I think that when you look at the, the city, Lewis in particular, um, the whole city, not just the police department, the whole city, I mean, we, are, we run very minimally funded. You know, and a lot of that goes back to the to the recession and the significant cuts and stuff like that. But, I mean, we are very much so minimally staffed. And the amount of work that's put on everybody, not just in the police department, but also put on economic, uh, economic development, social services, the city clerk's office, the fire department, you name it. I mean, public works is very much, so, everything has been very stripped down, and you know it makes it very hard because really instead of being able to invest in long term planning or invest in infrastructural improvements or invest in staffing training uh, development uh, that can help you out in the long run, you're really stuck with just living for today and that's that's a I think that's a citywide issue you know talking about safety, community safety, and crime st- anti-crime strategy, a component of that is, is always going to be enforcement. Right. Right. You're always going to need that component. You're always going to need officers out there on the street knocking on doors, taking people in, placing them in handcuffs. That's, that's a part of it. Uh, but, you know, I was part of Operation Hotspot. I was a part of the planning, the grant writing, you know, the all of that, and it was very effective. But one of the things that you see with Operation Hotspot is the second that you take your foot off the gas pedal, um, things come back. So the only way to keep the, the, the crime reduction that we saw, the decrease in violent crimes that we, were, that we witnessed is to keep your foot on the gas 24-7. It's not real. It's not practical. Uh, so although that's a component of it, this is why investment in education, early education, health, safe housing matters. Economic development matters. Um, because in the long run, uh, the healthier people are financially, mentally, fiscally, the more options, the more choice that they have. And the reality is, they're going to choose something else other than crime. Yeah. And by default, uh, we will be safer. We will have people coming here who want to who open up business because uh, right. we'll have a workforce. They also have customers.
0: And as you see the, as you see crime rates decline you see less train on officers yeah and you see you know that that like they can do more specialized projects and other other things like i had mentioned before um
1: they can take that they can spend that extra five minutes that i think a lot of people wish that we could spend yeah absolutely yeah
0: um how do you personally measure success Mm.
1: that's a good question I guess one, by never, ever feeling like I'm successful. <laughs> I, You know, I just, everything that, for me, when I try and do something, I, I'm always trying to hit a, hit a home run, and then I'm never pleased with myself anyways after that. I, You know, I think that's that transformative side. I don't like to be complacent. I don't like to settle, you know. You know, I was just talking with somebody recently about Project Support You and funding for it, and I made it very clear to them, like, Yes, this is my baby. I was part of the the you know creating this program and all this stuff. But if you tell me tomorrow that you got money to do this and this is gonna be much better, then I'm all for throwing that thing away. <laughs> you know um. So for me, success is going to be how people, how people feel, I guess. Do they feel like they are safe? Do they feel comfortable? Do they feel like they're being re- responded to? Do they feel like, you know, since we're a community that, that has a lot of needs, do they feel like their needs are being met? Do they feel like they're being heard, listened to, and that action is actually happening? Because a lot of times, you know, it's very easy to just sit there and have a listening session and say, good, well, we heard you and then that be it you know and i think that's when you start seeing more community-wide buy-in um, and engagement maybe that's maybe that to me could be a measure of some success yeah do you ever set any any goals you know every uh you
0: know one of the things i'm always looking for i mean i like numbers i was gonna say quantifiable yeah goals. and has that changed as you've as you've, you know, going through the 15 years and now that you're in a, a, a detective role. Has yeah. change changed at all?
1: You know, numbers matter. I've always looked at numbers. I've always been a bean counter. You know, I've always wanted to be, if there was a top 10 spot, you know, I want to be in a top 10. If there's a way to get to number one, I want to get to number one. Uh, you know, with a lot of looking at some of the work that I've done within the community, Sometimes it's it's kind of frustrating because it's hard to put a number to it and there's maybe really no way to put a number to it. Yeah. But, you know, would be looking at cost of service, you know, mm-hmm. for a period of time when we had Project Support you launch, we did see a reduction in overdoses. We saw a reduction in overdose fatalities. I thought that was huge. Um, you know, COVID's throwing a wrench in that. But, yes, I, I think... Data and analysis matter on, on, on measuring success, and then some of the stuff that we are interacting or trying to solve, you know, maybe it's t- sometimes too complex or the data isn't going to be there yet, you know. We know that kids getting uh, efficient education, effective education at a young age is going to change their life outcome for the better. Uh, but then you're also stuck waiting, you know, 18 years to see if that's true. And it's, and it's hard. And it's hard to sell people on that, uh, you know, because they want to see the results now. We live in a very instant, I need to see gratification or I need to see my, you know, what my dollar went and got me right now. And some of these things are, are, are large and it's going to take a lot of time. And we as a community need to understand that, accept that. Uh, and we need to have the endurance for
0: it. Right. You talked a lot about de-escalation or, you know, crisis situations. Can you recall or would you like to share an experience that was profoundly impactful on you, as in if it was like a, you know, very strong learning experience?
1: The one that that... In many ways, it's kind of silly, I guess, or maybe it's not. I just had, before I was a police officer, when I was working at the hospital, I had this, we had this person up in, in the psych ward who was just extremely combative, uh, fighting with staff. They, you know, so we at security were trying to, you know, restrain them, calm them down, uh, and then we were actually waiting to get them transported out. Like they were that bad that they needed to go to, um, up to Augusta, and when we got in the room, I just noticed while he was yelling and screaming and doing all that stuff that he was talking about politics, and uh, anybody who knows, uh, my, my parents or my father in particular know that there's, you know, some political uh, interests in there, and so growing up, I was always force-fed the news uh, when I would rather watch something else, but... Back then, this was shortly after uh, the Bill Clinton and Bob Dole race for president. And so I was, begrudgingly by my father, relatively or somewhat uh, informed or knowledgeable of of who Bob Dole was. And this guy was talking about Bob Dole uh, the whole time or yelling about him periodically. So I just started engaging him with a conversation about Bob Dole, what little I knew, uh, but that worked.
0: That, that sort of calmed him down. That
1: calmed him down. And then all of a sudden, we had this connection. And there we were for a couple of hours, just me and him sitting on the floor in this padded room by ourselves. The staff backed out and just sitting there talking about Bob Dole. <laughs> and, you know, this is a guy that we were anticipating that we were going to, you know, have to shackle, drag, kicking, screaming down a hallway into an elevator, down an elevator, out to an ambulance, him down and, you know get him out of here and at the end of this this guy just walked out with me got on the ambulance no big deal and took off and it was just him and I and I think the biggest thing I learned from that is that broad knowledge matters you know and we're talking a lot about training right now what cops need you know specifically for for law enforcement. Yes, there's a lot of stuff that we need to know, but just general knowledge is never going to hurt you uh, because you just never know what or when you're going to pull up on it. Nobody would You could never have told me prior to that moment that Bob Dole was going to save me from potentially getting beat up (laughs) in a crisis unit, (laughs) right? right? I would have never known that. And who knows? Maybe it will tomorrow. Uh, General knowledge is so beneficial uh to have and you know I think sometimes when we're talking about training the police stuff like that we also need to just keep generally not just for law enforcement but for everybody really is just general general knowledge and information uh you never know what you're going to use that music class that you couldn't stand whatever you know whatever something that what that may be something that may be a way for you to connect with somebody that you wouldn't be able to and you know. You know, when I was mentioning that, it reminds me of something my mother had shared to me when she was working uh, as a nurse in the emergency department and one of a local hospital. She had a night where there was a, parent who was very, a patient who was very distraught and angry and upset, uh, but it was through uh, music, theatrical music, that they were able to connect and form a bond, and this person was able to, to relax and, and, and get the treatment that they needed. Uh, so I think those things matter and you just never know when you know that's why I can't stand it when people will knock education um, or you know the broad sense you know, you know I, I have a, a bachelor's degree in administration of justice and, and it has maybe served me well in some ways and other ways There's maybe two classes that I feel like I draw upon uh, but the classes that I really draw the most upon I think are you know my writing my reading classes my, some of my psych classes some of my business management classes some of my you know Typing, you know those things. Those are really, you know, and you know, I guess if you would ask me when I was twenty years old, if I thought those are going to be meaningful to being a police officer, I would have said no. It's so going to be all these criminal justice classes, CJ, whatever. That's going to matter, and it's really
0: not. Yeah, yeah, it's good to you know always continually expand your horizons. But I think both of those examples you provided speak to the the thing you said earlier, which was meeting people where they are you know, the fact that you were able to relate to that man at St. Mary's. If you weren't able to relate to him, he wouldn't have calmed down probably. and Absolutely. Who knows what it would have happened, so.
1: It matters, your ability to meet and also your ability to maybe take that step back, you right. know, and knowing, you know, knowing officer Colby Michoud has a different perspective or can connect that it's okay for you to step back and let him take
0: over. My thanks to Joe for his time and his commitment to serving and protecting this community. Stay tuned for the second part of our conversation coming up in a future episode. A big shout out to the YMCA of Auburn-Lewiston for sponsoring this program. You can find out more about them at alymca.org. We have many more exciting guests ahead in upcoming episodes, so make sure you're subscribed to this podcast wherever you listen to your other shows. That way you're not missing out on future episodes when they are released. We also want to thank you for listening. You, our audience, is the most important piece of this program. And we know that these recordings are just slices of a bigger ongoing conversation that we want you to be a part of. If you have any thoughts or ideas, please let us know on social media. LA Metro Magazine is on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Connect with us there. Positive vibes and well wishes from all of us at LA Metro Magazine. Until next time, I'm your host, Colby Michaud. Make sure you're being entertained, staying informed, and getting inspired.